Today's episode of Vice Versa, we're talking about the new Tesla Model S Plaid and why the Plaid Plus was canceled, GM increasing their EV spending, and the Texas power grid struggling to avoid blackouts again. And as usual, I'm joined by the guy that's trying to make the word skybrader catch on, Ricky Roy. If you don't know what that <laughs> reference is about, you gotta watch his latest, latest video. I'm trying to remember what you what you called it, but I remember your, it was pretty <laughs> priceless too. I remember calling my wife, we, we had a good laugh. That, that was a good video. You know what's funny, Matt, is you and I, we have similar ideas and thoughts. And um, so sometimes we cover topics that are that are common to both of us. So I just did a video on bladeless wind turbines and yeah, skybrader. <laughs> I that couldn't is a, stop um, laughing when I heard that. I was just like, oh my God, that's so perfect. There we go. We got to make that a thing. <laughs> Matt has done a video. I've done a video. Yeah. Check it out if you haven't seen it already. But yeah, so that was my video for the week. Matt, what about you? What did you do this week? Uh, the video this week was, I actually can't remember what I did this week. <laughs> it's all a blur. <laughs> it, is, it is in the uh, description. It was, oh, it's the, uh, it's the un, uh, underwater turbines, tidal turbines. Yes. And there, there's Speaking a whole of, bunch of really interesting, it's the same thing as the bladeless turbines. It's like, but what they're doing underwater, which is really kind of cool. Yeah, it was, wasn't it kind of uh, spun off of the, the, the topic we had on Vice Versa? We talked about that yes. company making the big massive, yeah. Yep, that's where it was spun from. Exactly. So there's going to be some overlap like that. Um, also, uh, it is official. I am unemployed. I'm a, I'm a full-time <laughs> YouTuber. <laughs> Yesterday was my last day of work. So, you know, I've been through the roller coasters of highs and lows and fear and scared and anxiety. But now I'm just so excited. Um, and I'm so, excited for uh, you. <laughs> so now we're able to do something we've talked about before. You want to talk about our scheduling. We were thinking about, we get a lot of comments from people in the description who say, I'm just tuning in for a minute before I log out because, you know, I'm in a different time zone. So we were thinking about the timing for the show and when we should hold it. Yeah, so we're going to be moving it a little earlier into the day. So we're talking about 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern that we'll be doing it next week. And if it works well for us, we're going to keep going forward on that, that time frame. But this might be a little fluid as we test things out. But the idea would be to do it earlier. And folks in Europe who are, some of them are staying up until like 2 o'clock in the morning to watch us. They won't have to stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning. They can actually join in earlier in their evening. So it's going to benefit everybody. This can be, should be a lot, lot better. Yes, absolutely. And there was a topic, probably the, one of the bigger topics that we've all been thinking about lately, the Tesla Model S Plaid event. We both didn't do videos on it. We wanted to probably, but just timing-wise, that's why we have this show. Yep. So let's dig in and maybe do a pretty heavy part of the show focused on it. But yeah, Matt, what did you think? What was your uh, takeaway of that <laughs> event? And are you buying one or, or two not, or, or what? I, no, I, I'm not buying one. Um, the Tesla Model S is not really my car. It's not. It's a little too big for me, but it's like, is it this version of it? It's gorgeous. The interior of the car is dramatically better than the old one. It looks very modern, very fresh, and the finishes look really high-end, where you might be able to argue that the other one, the old one, kind of looked a little, like, cheap in certain aspects. This one, to me, looks really premium. So it's like they've really stepped up the kind of fit and finish, which is a nice touch. Um, I still have a big problem with that yoke steering wheel that they introduced. Uh, the whole having to do very quick turns and a yoke steering wheel does not seem like it will be a pleasant thing, but it could be the type of thing where you get used to it over time. Uh, the things that stood out for me really came out after the event, of, as, so as soon as people started getting their hands on with the car. And one of them was um, 
Tesla Raj actually got his hands on the car and spent a good deal of time. And if you haven't seen this, if you haven't seen this video, I really recommend you check it out. He spends half an hour going through like every possible feature that you can imagine in the car and breaking it all down. The thing that jumped out to me was in this UI, you can now, as you can see, you can move things around the screen. So you can undock things from the left side and you can put them to the right side. That is something that is so desperately needed in the Model 3 and the Model Y. It's really great to see that this is going to be happening and hopefully it comes out to our cars too um, with the next update. But if you watch the video, you can start to see one of the things I'm about to complain about. I'm, I, my career was as a user interface designer. <laughs> so some of the issues that I'm going to call out here are present in today's car, and it looks even worse in this design because there's nothing, there's something called an affordance where, where you can intuitively understand what you're supposed to do with that object. So it would be like if you can swipe across the screen, you're showing the hint of the next thing that's on the screen and it's an affordance that there's something there so that you know you can swipe it across. Part of the problem with this UI is there's like no affordances for how you make things do things. So the moving and undocking and redocking is not intuitive. Um, later in the video, he's going through um, the the little dock menu that you can hit that brings up the apps. You can actually customize what the apps are on that bar, but the way that you move them around is not intuitive. And he spent a good two minutes in the video trying to move them in a certain way and it wasn't doing anything. And then he suddenly discovered how it was actually supposed to work. And so it's like, it's things like that in the user interface that look really, really unpolished, unfinished. It's gonna cause a whole bunch of user experience issues with the user interface. So even though they're getting a bunch of large items correct by adding features like being able to undock from the left and undock to the right, it's their execution looks really kind of frankly poor. And so it's like, this looks like an early build. I hope they refine ref, refine this up very quickly because <laughs> it doesn't look good. Uh, here's a great example right here on this screen. Um, just look how cluttered that screen is with a whole bunch of like little buttons all over the screen. It's, you don't know where to look, where your focus is. It seems like they're focusing too much on this very, uh, you know, white background, simple, clean lines, this very flat aesthetic, I think is actually working against them here. And they're not using a lot of color. They're not using a lot of depth. They're not using shading to make sure that you know where your focus is and what's important. They're not doing a lot of things with size and shape to try to make it more intuitive as to what's going on. So for me, my focus, obviously went to the user interface because that's kind of where my career has been. So it's like, for me, the fit and finish of the car looks spectacular. The speed, of course, of the car is just mind melting how fast that car can go. And of course, there's a thousand different videos out there of people doing launch events and races. And this car looks insane for what it can do. Um, I would joke, it kind of redefines what it means to go get a you know a quart of milk from the corner store when you have this car. <laughs> but it's, it looks like such a fun car. And the software issues I was just bringing up, they can be fixed in time with updates. But Tesla as a technology company, I was expecting something a little more polished out of the gate. And I was a little disappointed to see so many rough edges with the interface. Interesting. I, I actually didn't focus too much on that part of it. <laughs> and you know they're gonna they will improve on this. They're yes. they're gonna they're gonna improve. To your point about the UI and stuff, if you if you think about whenever you open things up, so like the minute you make something customizable, and this is where Apple historically doesn't make very much customizable. Um, 
the minute you like poke a hole and allow access to something, it's just so much more challenging to to corral and make it work well. If you remember back to, I can't remember what iOS version it was, when they allowed third-party keyboards. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yep. When they allowed third-party keyboards, it was almost unusable for months because until that moment, Apple had one keyboard and that was it. That's easy. You can build that. But if you build a platform upon which you can use any keyboard, you can put in any hack, it's like the Wild West. It becomes really difficult to to sort out. And the bugs will arise and things are going to not work quite as well. Um, I'm in my parents' house, by the way, so the connection, and I am hardwired in, but their upload speeds aren't the best. So th- there will be some little hiccups and it'll probably take, I mean, don't be surprised if it takes like a year to really dial this in perfectly. I, I wouldn't be too surprised if it took that long. But I like the ambition of it. If you look at like what a company is doing, what they're doing is ambitious, and I love that. Um, a lot of companies play very safe, don't have anything like this. Uh, like the ID4 comes to mind as a car that took no risk. It's like, we don't even allow you to do two things at once. You want to go change the climate control? Go change the climate control and leave everything else you're doing and then come back later. This is the opposite. This is like, hey, control that and this and that, and put whatever you want wherever you want and do eight things at one time and we'll power it all. Um, which gets to one cool aspect, which this part you probably do like, their new hardware. They've got this AMD-powered beast of a media computer that they say is able to run PlayStation 5-quality games. So at least they have the hardware to support this ambitious UI, and hopefully in time it'll be... And I think it'll be super zippy and and a a, a breeze to use. But, I mean, the real real story with this car is that speed, right? Yes, 1.99 seconds. It is wild. I was watching, I was watching, um, (laughs) Bong Hollywood ask if I'm using Viasat satellites for networking. Uh, I am not, (laughs) but it probably looks like it. I think it's improved a little bit now. Um, I was watching some like drag, drag races and things with various cars, but the guy in the plaid is sitting there. You know, the guy on his right is taking off and speeding up as fast as he can. He's just sitting back like for two seconds and then floors it and just goes flying past him like he's standing still. This car is wickedly quick. And the cool part is until this car came out, the Taycan was the fastest EV money could buy. And that is no longer true. No <laughs> and one of the things that's really interesting, and I, I had a little poll on my channel, I believe, or on Twitter I was curious if they would have a two-speed gearbox or not, because as much as I love my performance Model 3, my one complaint is north of like 70 miles an hour, I mean, it's still a fast car, but it it feels more like of human technology, whereas from zero to 70, it feels like an alien railgun or something. It's incredible. So the cool thing with what they've done is they, they kind of brought this up in Elon. I love that they get into the technical nerdy details of all of it, but they've got this carbon wrapped rotor um and he mentioned that it's really hard to do because if you heat anything it'll expand and contract so like hardwood floors when you put in hardwood floors you got to leave a buffer around the edges because in the summer the wood isn't expanding you don't want it to hit the walls and bow in your on your floor and it'll contract in the no, the winter time all materials do this so what their their challenge was the rotors at twenty thousand rpm is getting both hot and the centripetal forces on it are just expanding this copper rotor. 
And they have this like carbon fiber sleeve around the whole thing to hold it all together. But the challenging part is I believe the carbon fiber is going to expand much more than the copper will. And so the way to make – so what would happen is if you had both just fit together, it would do nothing because the carbon fiber would expand so much more than the copper and it wouldn't do its job of holding it all together. So the challenge that they had to – and he mentioned he built the machine to build the machine. They had to find a way to install this carbon wrap on the the, uh, rotor under huge levels of compression. That way, even as the two expand, there's still some compressive force holding it all together. They've also mentioned a 20,000 plus RPM redline, which is bonkers. Our cars, I think, have like a 17,000 or 18,000 RPM redline, which is incredible already. But I think they have additional cooling, their power delivery, and you know their, their voltage regulators and stuff are more advanced. And they can actually get a pretty flat curve of horsepower out all the way till the end at 20,000 RPM, which is mind-boggling. This yeah. is, I mean, we, we should all take a moment and this is not possible with anything but electric motors. This cannot be done. And happy to also say that they've beefed up the cooling generally for the whole battery pack. So you can just go bonkers on a racetrack over and over and over again, and your batteries aren't going to get heat soaked. You can actually handle all the thermal energy being exerted and, and keep up with it. So from, from an engineering perspective, man, I want one so bad. You mentioned it's not your car. Yeah, the the Plaid Model S is exactly my car. It's kind of like the dream. I've I've always loved the, um, in the in the in the gas days. I like the German sport sedans. I like mm-hmm. that like family hauler. You can have the kids and take your wife, but at any moment you could put your foot <laughs> down and you have a race car. And that's exactly what it is. And my my Model Three performance is is similar, but this is this is unbelievable. It has gone up in price. And also, I want to before I say anything about this, I really want to know your take. How do you feel about them canceling the Plaid Plus? Um, it doesn't surprise me. It does not okay. surprise me at all, especially when you look at. Actually, one of the reasons. Let me share my screen here if I still have it up. Is this okay? Uh, this this is the sales charts. <laughs> so if we turn off the other cars. What's the Model S been doing over the past several years? It's been declining. It's like fewer people are buying this car because more people are doing this. They're buying things like the Model 3. And so it's like it's not surprising to me that they canceled this because it's a small seller anyway. And they'd be making two separate versions that they'd have to manufacture. And it's going to every time you add another basically another product to your line, it's going to increase costs and production times and it's going to be more difficult to manage. And, you know, them being a first principles company and wanting to streamline their business, it's obvious to me that they were going to try to simplify things, especially since this, the non plus version is just as fast as what the plus version was going to be. The only difference between the two cars was about a hundred miles of range. And so it's like, why would you make your life as a company more difficult to support this car that you're going to sell maybe dozens of, (laughs) it would not be a lot. So it's like, let's just get people to go to the plaid version cancel that one it simplifies our process it saves us money in the long run and they still get a killer alien vehicle so it's like I, it doesn't surprise me that they canceled it i think yeah i think you pretty much hit on the head the one thing i did believe would happen with the plaid plus is that they would use their 4680 cells which requires kind of a uh, a retooling of the battery chassis i don't think they're going to go to like a structural battery potentially on this car but They'd have to do some engineering to, to pull this off. 
all in the interest of 100 miles of range. And to your point, I think what might have happened when they started is they might have been thinking, okay, with our current 18650s, do we have the power up to be able to support this supercar race car at all times? And if we don't, then the 4680 not only adds range, but it might also be required for the power and, and performance requirements. But I think as they did their testing, they were like, and you got to remember too, the 18650 of 2021 that's going into the plaid is not the same 18650 no. from 2013 when they started building this car. The chemistry has gone up dramatically, and that's where this range keeps going up higher and higher, even though they're not adding more batteries. It's just that the chemistry is getting better. So I think what they found is, look, we can get about 400 miles of range. We don't have to retool anything. We don't have to eat up 4680 supply or be beholden to it to sell this car because like the Cybertruck isn't online yet. So they're not losing out on sales because they have time to figure out the Cybertruck line and the 4680. And, and make no mistake, I think they're going to have a, a challenge to get the 4680 rolled out. I mean, anytime you use something new, it's going to take time to figure out. For example, even all these years later at the Gigafactory, there are some scrapped batteries from their 2170 lines. Not every right. battery makes it through. There's, there's some bad, bad outliers. So I think it'll take them a little bit of time to, to sort that out. And why hold off on this car that's otherwise ready? This yep. supercar that can put a smackdown on Porsche Taycans and everybody else out there is ready. Why not just go with it? So yep. I think that was kind of the rationale. I just hate it because I really wanted that 500-mile car. Yeah, uh, especially because now the Plaid price is kind of crept up to where the Plaid Plus was going to be. So it all makes sense to me. Uh, and I do wish I had the founder miles, but man, I want this car so bad. Now that I'm full time, I, I, I'll have to just blow up and make better videos and, uh, and, and earn myself one eventually. Make that YouTube money. <laughs> make that YouTube money. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating story. What I love about Tesla, too, is they when they have their unveilings, they let everybody in. It's not like hands-off. We're going to have a bunch of executives sitting here and talking in executive speak, which people are tired of that. They don't want to hear that. Instead, they're like, they have Elon wearing a plaid leather jacket, going crazy, talking about the engineering challenges of it all. And then they're just flooring it and giving the press the opportunity to experience 0 to 60 in two seconds and what that, what that means. Because at that point... You're accelerating faster than you can brake, which has always been the holy grail for like race cars. Braking is a lot easier. Just have four big, you know, rotors you can you can stomp on and slow down. But I think the Plaid can speed up faster than it can slow down, which is crazy to imagine. It's it's just mind-boggling. It really is. It's an incredibly fun car, and it's and going to the forty-six eighty. I think we talked about this the last time. I think people are getting fixated on the battery format when we shouldn't be, whether it's, you know, the 18 or 46, or who, who cares? It's like, can <laughs> the final product that's being delivered do crazy things? And so it's like, if you're looking for a car that can go 1.99 seconds to 60 miles an hour, it's like, who cares what the battery is in there? It's, it's killing it. So it's like, whether it's the 4680 disappointment doesn't make sense to me because there's a lot of people that are disappointed by that. It's not a magical sell. It's it's just a different format that's going to save them money. It's going to allow them to do this, you know, the massless structural battery pack kind of a thing. It's going to unlock things for them to be able to do, but it's not necessarily that it, you need that for the silicon-based, you know, materials that are in this new fancy battery. You could put that in any format you want. You could put it in a pouch cell. So it's like, I think we all collectively have to get out of our minds 
that the 4680 specifically is some magical unicorn because it's not. Exactly. Uh, by the way, we have a, our first super chat. Thank you so much, Art Irwin. Uh, Irwin. He says, first time catching you live, been watching day after and subscribe to both of you. Thanks. You inspired me to start my own channel a Thanks. couple of weeks ago. So Art, uh, link it in here. We'll, we'll, we'll be happy to share your new channel. Thank you so much. And thanks for being a, um, uh, a member. And uh, yeah, share your channel. I'd love to see it myself as well. Um, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> this gets to something I, I thought about recently, which is Tesla's fans aren't car people. They're tech people. So if, if I would liken it to the guy who is waiting in line to get the new iPhone on day one, more than I would liken it to the guy who talks about Porsche's ceramic brakes and how they don't have fade lap after lap. I don't think they really care about that, to be honest. Um, interestingly, I am right in the middle. I'm a tech guy. I love all my tech stuff, but I'm a huge car nerd as well. So for me, um, when I think about Tesla, for me, they're a car company. I, I don't really care too much about all this other kinds of stuff. I think about stuff like race car things. There was a video somebody posted where a, a plaid Model S was out on a track. I think it was Laguna Seca. And they were racing with like Porsche 911s, smoking them, and even like $1.7 million uh, McLaren Senna's and stuff, like really special hypercars. And this plaid was just laying in the way, comes out of a corner and just stomps on it and makes them look stupid. And yeah, I'll tell you, man, when we were fully charged, remember there was the guy who had the uh, Taycan. And mm-hmm. he mentioned the Taycan is great, but it's no Senna. So there was always an asterisk like, yeah, electric car is fine, but it's over. It's over. There is not a gas car. Every gas car is going to look stupid. And that's why this is so fascinating. Um, Bill Obar, Super Chat as well. Thank you so much, Bill. We love seeing you. I'm glad you could make it today. Um, in case you can't tell, I'm really excited. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because you you are a tech guy. You're a tech car guy hybrid. And for me, yeah. I'm a tech guy. It's like, right. I like cars. You love cars. I like them. But for me, it's like, I'm obsessed with technology and how it works. So it's like, I do focus on the 4680 cells and what goes into them. And I love all that stuff. And that's what attracts me to EVs specifically. But I'm also a user experience designer by trade. And so for me, I'm always looking at things like, well, what's the experience of the finished product? So it's like I'm always looking past the specific details that go into it and like what the experience is of actually using it. So for me, it's like if you want to buy a car that goes as fast as humanly possible, it peels your skin off your face when you hit the fast gas pedal. It's like this is what you want. It's like, as you said, this is going to this is like the final nail in the coffin for gas cars. It's like. You're going to see video after video after video of this, of the, it just smoking every single gas car that's out there in every conceivable race. It's like, it's going to be awesome to watch because it's like Elon's whole goal was to prove that EVs can not just be good enough, they can be the best. And so it's like, I think this car has the chance to be the best at what it is. And that's one of the great things. That's one of the great services that Tesla has provided. It's not just showing like a path to uh, path to profitability for a car company to make EVs. That was a that was the most lasting uh, legacy Tesla will ever have. But also that, yeah, they're just better in every way. Ulf um, here in the chat says, I'm a car nerd as well as tech nerd. Done IT for 50 years, but also Aero for F1 cars and race autocross now. Exactly. So there are some people who fall yeah. into both categories. But typically, I think... Um, when Tesla announces things like the batteries, like you mentioned, people get so obsessed with that. Like it's a magical, it's the same stuff wrapped in a different container. It's not that different. It's smart. It's going to be better 
it, mm. when it's ready. But um, that's just one part of what they're working on. This other stuff is, is going to be good. Okay, there is one negative, though, I think. Um, and this is going to make you sad because you're going to get a free one one day. I oh. think this put. <laughs> <laughs> See where you're going with this. Yeah, no. Take this. Just stop right there. You don't have to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, maybe I should. I think this pushes back the, the Roadster even further because they had this car, this chassis. By the way, this nine year old chassis was good enough to come this far. No one does that. In nine years, a normal car company would be on their third body style, like third completely different chassis and everything. They're still rocking the same one. That's a testament to how well the chassis was designed. But I think they realized, look, we've got this thing. Let's go try motor. Let's throw all the latest and greatest stuff we got and build the supercar and buy us like maybe a few more years of no Roadster. I really think the Roadster is like five years out, to be honest. I, I don't. My prediction. I don't. Really? I think okay. what this does, I think this what this should do is it should set a new floor for what the Roadster is going to blow past. It's like... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's going to go 1.2 seconds. It's going to do something insane for how fast it can go. It's going to have that SpaceX package. It's just the, the roaster is an excuse just to go nuts. And so it's yeah. like the roaster is just going to be bananas. That's what it's going to be. So I, I don't think it's five years out. I think it's probably more like two or three years out, but it's still going to come. It's still going to happen. It's just, I think it's going to be more insane than we originally thought. Because yeah. because this so, car is what we thought that car was going to be. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, it's incredible. Yeah. I think the the comments will be flooding with this topic. So we did want to talk about two other things just to round out the show. You want to you want to switch gears and and chat yeah. a little bit about the other topics? Yeah, sure. <laughs> we were talking about this just before we started the show. GM increasing EV spending by thirty percent may add two battery factories. I don't know what may add two battery factories actually means, but you know, I was talking about. We were talking about, we haven't talked about GM very much. We were, Matt and I were both pretty excited about what they were planning earlier in the year, but it's been kind of a quiet period. You know, the Hummer EV is not ready for production yet. So uh, the Bolt was a very small refresh. They're not making any news. And that's kind of what I think has prompted them to, to do something. In the, in the time since the Bolt and the Hummer was kind of announced and the batteries and the Ultium pack and all these announcements were, were, have happened, We've had the Mustang Mach-E actually get in people's hands. Plaid, I mean, forget about Tesla, what they've done. I think GM kind of feels a little um, out of the spotlight a little bit. So not to be outdone by others like Ford, who've announced, you know, $30 billion commitments to EVs through 2030. They're kind of saying, like, you know, we want to double down again and and show that we're committed. Um, Exactly what that means is unclear. And maybe Matt and I disagree on this topic. I kind of feel that General Motors has the right intentions, but I feel like there's a little bit of a lack of leadership. Uh, so, for example, there is this story here that General Motors will be developing and providing the batteries for these electric freight locomotives from uh, Wabtec. So <laughs> the reason why I brought this one up is the Ultium battery is not even in full rate production yet. And now you're going to be giving, you know, potentially megawatt hours of capacity to an electric locomotive, at, that'll come at the cost of building electric vehicles yourself. So um, it's a little bit of a, it feels good, I guess, but I don't really know what it means. And I'm not sure General Motors uh, has as clear of a direction as I thought. It wasn't like six months ago we had talked and we kind of felt General Motors architecturally really sound. They have a direction for 
shooting the dark, but their shots are landing. Ford is kind of, I mean, I kind of feel like maybe Ford has um, jumped up a little bit in, in this race, but what do you think? Yeah, you and I are going to disagree on this a little bit. I do agree that GM is biting off more than it can chew. It's like, it's just learning to walk and it's trying to run. And it's kind of like, it's a little weird that they're doing the whole train thing when they don't even have enough battery supply to probably do what they want to do on their own. But part of what this story is interesting to me is they've already pledged a certain amount of money that they're going to be investing into EVs by 2025, where Ford has only opted to do 30 billion by 2030. So right now, GM is going to be spending 35 billion in five years, and Ford's going to be spending 30 billion less in 10 years. So to me, that speaks volumes of which one is taking the transition more seriously. So yeah, they're biting off more than they can chew, but at least they're trying to take the bite. <laughs> so it's like Ford's doing great with the Ford F-150 Lightning. I think they nailed that. Like it couldn't have gone better than what they were doing with that. But when it comes to what GM's doing and they're laying the groundwork and they're putting a framework, framework in place that I think is what they should be doing. So it's like the question now is can they execute? And so for them adding this additional $8 billion into their proposed budget, and it's it they may be because no, they haven't officially said what they're going to be spending the money on yet. But for people in the know from that article, they say that they believe it's it's supposed to have been earmarked for two new U.S.-based battery factories, and they already have one. So this would give them potentially three in the next five years, having three battery factories here in the U.S. And it makes sense to me because the Biden administration is doing a whole bunch of incentives to try to increase the battery production in the United States. And it would make sense to me that they would suddenly add this additional $8 billion if there's some kind of federal incentive and support that's also planned to be coming that they may know about that we don't know about yet. So it's like they may be doubling and tripling down on that because they can see that they're not going to be doing it alone. They're going to be doing it with some government support. So it's like it makes perfect sense to me why why they're doing this. And I, I have a little more faith, I think, than you do. <laughs> that the, You say there's a lack of leadership. I think it's probably they're being overambitious. I don't think it's a lack of leadership. I just think they're they're biting off more than they can chew right now. But I would rather see them do that and make the mistake of, you know, not being able to achieve everything they're trying to achieve. But they're 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 setting setting themselves some real serious stretch goals of what they want to do. Where Ford is being super quiet, and they're only doling out every once in a while. And it's kind of like, what is Ford doing? Oh, here's the Ford F one fifty. Holy crap! And so it's kind of like we don't know everything that they're doing, and their plan doesn't look as quite as cohesive to me as what GM is doing. So for me, I'm very kind of excited by by this article. I thought it was actually kind of interesting that th they may be going beyond what they can actually do, but I'd rather see them try and maybe fail a little bit than not try at all. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I, I did think they had a good strategy in place, but I'm looking at their roadmap. So they have a $120,000 electric truck coming out, right? Yeah, that's not going to appeal to a huge number of people, right? I mean, we got that no. you can agree. Plus, you're kind of going after this kind of badass image, right? Which is you're you're in Cybertruck territory at that point. Now, I'm, I'm not. There are going to be people who prefer the 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 Hummer EV, maybe to the Cybertruck, but I think you're more in alignment with that as opposed to Ford, which went Let's just give you a traditional. Pick a conventional pickup truck that's electric that can power your house if the power goes out. They were they made a lot of sense that way. So okay, so that there's the Hummer EV. What's next for them? 
The Bolt, I think, is dead. I think they entirely, like, after this next run of cars, they scrap that entirely and they build something more native for their Ultium battery stack as opposed to what they have now, which is, like, an LG pack. And it's uh, So I think they're going to go another direction. But do we know what their next car will be? That's kind of what I'm thinking. I like all the announcements behind the scenes. It's kind of like, you know, um, I remember on our team when I was back when I was at Salesforce, we would sometimes we'd have these releases where we fixed critical bugs in the background and it was like really great work, but it's like the customers, they don't, don't notice know. anything different. It looks the same. It's like, uh, what have you done for me? It looks identical. Oh, but we made it, you know, 20% more responsive and there's encryption. Like, no one cares. We can't see any of it. I think what Ford has done is I think they appreciate that, like the, like the, per, the perception is reality kind of argument. And what they've done is make two really cool, compelling cars. And by the way, the Transit EV, how cool would that be, right? I mean, they have another. So those three, they basically went after kind of the, the big market segments that I think they need to. But, but where is Ford's Gigafactory? I oh, that's right. They don't have I one. Don't know what, I, I, I don't know what they're going to do. GM is currently building one. That's kind of where I'm coming from. Is like I, they're, I, I, I they're clearly building an infrastructure for the future, where Ford, I don't think they are. It's like I feel like they're they're having partners do a lot of this stuff for them. They may be designing the cars themselves, but they're relying on partners to help them get their supply together. And that's not building for the future. That's building for the now. And so it's like GM seems to be building for the future. Two really wild bets. We'll we'll track this as as it goes along, yeah. but I'm I'm <laughs> curious because I do think GM needs a hit EV, and yes, they do. They don't have it yet. They, that's they need to take all this now and like a Corvette, an electric Corvette. Build an electric Corvette. Do that, yes. and you'll you'll make the news, and you don't have to go provide batteries to to uh, trains. trains and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. So the last one. The Texas power grid operator ERCOT urges conservation to avoid blackouts. And this is kind of familiar to what happened over the winter, but now we're in the summer. Um, what was, it's, 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 I definitely don't want to come across as we're talking about this as like schadenfreude and we're pointing our fingers at Texas and doing a Nelson laugh from the Simpsons because that is not the case. But um, we're in another situation again where Texas, over this past week, they're in a massive heat wave in the southwestern uh, United States. And they've had numerous gas plants go out of service again. And so there's been a loss of about 12,000 megawatts that's been offline at different times earlier in this week. And so they were asking basically everybody to up their thermostats, to stop using their AC, to conserve power, because there could end up being rolling blackouts again which what happened in the winter, 700 people died when that happened last time, but that was also the winter with freezing temperatures and water pipes bursting. Um, this is the summertime, so that probably wouldn't happen again, but if it did happen, there could be some ramifications since it's so hot of deaths because it's so hot. So this is not a great situation for Texas to be in. And it's just kind of a, I don't know, a free market uh, deregulated, not a deregulated energy grid may work great in when things are all rosy, but this is a sign of what happens when you don't have any kind of federal or state regulation dictating where power plants should be built and not built. It's up to the power grid themselves to determine where they want to build plants and how they want to build them. And for a long time, Texas has been kind of a, this golden child for low electricity prices, it's a power state, but this happening again is just kind of showing 
what happens when we have more extreme weather conditions from freezing temperatures in the winter to extremely hot temperatures in the summer the texas grid is not as robust as we may have thought and they really do need to, to fix this and there are two bills that they just recently passed there's bills two and bills three which are were passed after the winter issue to help fix this to help kind of re retrofit their uh, grid but that's going to take years to roll out so it could be a couple of years before we start seeing their grid be a little more resilient against things like this so what's your take ricky yeah so here <laughs> the there's a the second article that we we had linked uh if you look at my screen um <laughs> this this is hard to ex understand exactly but here here's what they wrote they said Generator owners have reported approximately 11,000 megawatt of generation is on forced outage for repairs. Of that, approximately 8,000 is thermal. So thermal is what they call basically natural, natural gas. gas. I guess yeah. some part of maybe cool or something else. So 8,000 of the 11,000 that's down for like uh, forced repair. Uh, of that 8,000 is natural gas. And they say that... A shortage of 11,000 megawatts means 2.2 million homes are going to be affected, which, I mean, these are huge numbers. And to your point, Matt, earlier, you know, they, they blamed um, Ben, Benjamin Barr said uh, they're not blaming the windmills this time. No, they're not, because this time they don't really have a leg to stand on. But it, it seems to be that there's I don't know what else is at play. I don't know if maybe there were some lingering issues after the cold snap that yeah. they they were able to like buckle on and get by, but now they got to they got to get this fixed. The timing couldn't be worse. But again, this is not a surprise. This is Texas. It gets really bloody hot, and there's probably parts where, I mean, I hate to use the word uninhabitable without air conditioning. Like parts of Arizona are not human inhabitable without air conditioning. So for those areas, power is not a luxury, and air condition. I, I largely call air conditioning a luxury in California. There are homes in San Diego that do not have air conditioning, like built back in the 70s. And the owners never get it installed because, yeah, the few warm days, just open up the windows a little. You'll be fine. You can live here without it. But if you live in a place where it's 115 degrees, um, I don't know that we're gonna, you'll see as much, you know, like illness or, you know, hurting as with the cold snap. But heat stroke is a thing. Like it, there could be some issues there as well. And of course, just a general problem if the power goes out and you're on a, uh, you're on a, some sort of medical device, you know, you're on a dialysis machine or something where your life is in the hands of whoever your electricity provider is. Uh, that's a really big problem. And just like you said, we're not trying to like demonize Texas. This is um, Texas is a state that is proud of just how independent and energy, you know, like abundant they are. There's, I think there's just some deeper issues that maybe are starting to uh, surface and it's going to get, things are going to get worse and drier. Um, for example, California right now, we're really hurting. It's a major drought year and people are projecting that the wildfires and stuff are going to be really bad this year. This is kind of the nature of the new normal. Um, you know, I think that the pandemic is going to end, but there's all these other challenges that are just, they seem like they're just nagging injuries that never heal. And they've got to figure their stuff out. And, and I don't exactly know why they don't just connect to the rest of the country. In the event something like this happens and you have to out, you know, put down power plants for repair, why not just have a connection and like have backup? I, it, it seems like a very prideful thing uh, to do. 
But yeah, thank you guys so much for watching and always. Um, we're so excited to, to do this with all of you. Uh, you guys make our Thursdays very memorable and enjoyable. So thank you. And remember next week, we'll, we'll put the stream out early for the new time. But let's hope that we can get more people watching. Yeah. And also you can uh, listen to the podcast version if you prefer an audio version at vice versa.show. And thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next one.